is equal to or even greater than any other over the past 100 years. When photojournalist Jacob Rees produced the classic How the Other Half Lives in 1890, many Americans became aware of the miserable living conditions of the working class in the tenements of New York City. Both farmers and workers began protesting against the unprecedented wealth that seemed to be concentrated in the hands of a privileged few. During Harrison's one term in office, as corporations continued to grow and to strengthen their hold on the economy, the nation would be forced to confront dramatic signals that both farmers and workers had become much more militant and demanded change. Farmers in the South struggled with low prices for cotton. Farmers in the West faced the same low prices for corn and wheat and a lingering drought. By the beginning of the 1890s, many farmers turned their backs on the Democrats and the Republicans and formed a third party, the People's Party, better known as the Populists. The Populist platform in the 1892 presidential election sent shockwaves across the nation. The new party demanded the free and unlimited coinage of silver in an attempt to increase crop prices, one of its signature issues called for government ownership of communication and transportation, that is, the nation's telegraph and telephone systems and the railroads, and pressed for a graduated income tax. If the populist platform did not seem enough of a threat to the established order, the nation witnessed credible violence when strikers clashed with Pinkerton guards at Andrew Carnegie's steel mill in Homestead, Pennsylvania, in July 1892. The confrontation left many dead and wounded, These developments may have indicated the beginning of an upheaval when the nation's economy plunged into the Depression of 1893 and did not even begin to improve until 1897. In his first annual message of December 3, 1889, President Harrison called on Congress to expand the role of the federal government in three areas, all, he believed, within the implied power granted by the Constitution— First, he professed to voice a national consensus for action when he asked Congress to consider how far the restraint of these combinations of capital, commonly called trusts, is a matter of federal jurisdiction. Harrison also pointed out that Congress had used land grants to provide federal aid to education. He emphasized that there had never been a question about the power of Congress to do so. Therefore, he thought there should be no disagreement about the power of Congress to provide money as a direct federal aid to education. Such aid seemed necessary and proper, as stipulated in Article I, Section 8 of the Constitution. Finally, Harrison asserted that Congress had to act to protect the civil rights of African Americans, including the voting rights of African American men in the South. When and under what conditions is the black man to have a free ballot? When is he, in fact, to have those full civil rights which have so long been his in law? Harrison emphasized that because the Constitution gave Congress the power to control the election of members of the House of Representatives, it was Congress's duty to address this problem head-on. Harrison has properly been recognized for adding, important new dimensions to the presidency, rejecting the view that the Constitution prohibited the president from interfering in the legislative process. For the first time in 15 years, Republicans had control of the White House and both houses of Congress. Harrison played an active role 
as the 51st Congress produced more important legislation than any other Congress in almost half a century, from 1866 to 1913. The 51st Congress passed four major pieces of legislation in 1890, the Dependent Pension Act for Veterans of the Union Army, the McKinley Tariff, the Sherman Antitrust Act, and the Sherman Silver Purchase Act, an attempt to inflate prices and wages. This Congress also admitted six new states to the Union in 1889 to 1890, Idaho, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Washington, and Wyoming. The Sherman Antitrust Act When John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil formed what became known as a trust in 1879, it marked a turning point in the development of corporations that became virtual monopolies. A trust was a business arrangement in which several competing companies in an industry combined to form a jointly managed enterprise. Under this arrangement,